everybody. Welcome to the Improv Network Podcast, a series of, series of conversations aimed at making stronger connections through the improv community. I'm Bob Wick, and with us today is, I'm, I'm going to try this, I, 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 correct me if I mispronounce this, I've, I'm having anxiety now. Uh, you can do this. Yeah, yeah, yo. Close? Yes. Oh, no. Okay, okay I'm going to introduce myself. Shy. Please, I please, thank you. Yeah, El Shy. Yeah, El Shy. I got halfway through that and I was like, oh, because we, we've talked about this on a program before. I have the worst anxiety for names. I, I usually give people nicknames, to, but that's a cop out. So uh, I apologize. But thank you. Thank you for being on the show. Um, today we're going to talk about the Zoomer and Boomers uh, Intergeneration Improv Theater and Intergeneration Improv. Um, so just to start off, like, how how you been? How's it going? Uh, okay. <laughs> Considering <laughs> we've all been uh, in a pandemic uh, state for a year now and that right. uh, none of us have been able to get together and do improv or other various activities in person. So we had to be resourceful, right? And we had to figure out ways to do this virtually, which is what I've done. Yeah, I was about to say you did a, a heck of a job. Like I've I've only become aware of you within the last two months, and you are one of the most proficient, um, I guess, internet users or multimedia, you know, marketing. Uh, I, I'm I'm very aware of your program. I'm really excited to talk about uh, uh, Zoomer Boomers with you. Um, so let's just get started. How did you how did you get started in improv and what brings you to what what made you create Zoomer and Boomers? Okay. So I got involved in well, I did a little bit of improv in high school. I was always, you know, in drama and, and dance. Dance was my first love. I've been dancing since I was eight years old. Uh, and then got into, you know, drama class and you know, junior high and high school and um, by college, I was a theater arts major with an emphasis in dance and psychology because I was always interested in how theater and dance help us as human beings and was planning on being a, a dance therapist. But um, I ended up hurting my back and had to go to plan B. And, yeah, ended up going to graduate school and social work and yada, 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 long story, 20 years of, of uh being a um, community advocate and, and doing policy work in, in social justice issues. Um, got a little burned out, uh, went back to school and became a trainer and facilitator and coach and was starting to experiment with using dance in my work. I, I couldn't do the Martha Graham groveling on the floor stuff anymore that I did in college, but I, lots of social dance. So I'm very avid, or at least before the pandemic, very right. avid swing dancer, salsa, tango, uh, Cajun Zydeco, all, all kinds of wow. dancing is my first love. And I had just started to experiment with putting the two parts of my life together. So during the day, I was a mild-mannered um, trainer and facilitator, uh, helping people in organizations with team building and give and take and communication skills. But at night, an avid dancer going out dancing. And I kept those two worlds completely separate. You know, this is work, this is play. And one day, 
I, I was teaching at a, a wonderful summer camp where I've, I started going in the 80s as a camper and then started teaching dance there many, many years ago. I was teaching a week-long uh, dance class. And at the on the final day, two of my students came to me, a husband and wife. They were, I think, in their 60s. Uh, and they said, Yael, we've been married for 40 years and we've never been able to dance together until your class what the hell is your secret? And I think it's because I really focus on connection, on that give and take between leader and follower and communication. Some of the communication in dance, a lot of the communication is nonverbal. And they said, have you ever thought of using dance for marriage counseling? What? <laughs> and I said, you know, um, I'm not a therapist, actually did that for a while, decided it's not my cup of tea, but I have a, um, a graduate degree in organizational psychology, and I go into organizations, nonprofit, for profit, government, and I help people work together more smoothly. You just gave me an idea. Maybe I could use dance for that. And I put a proposal in for a local um, organization development conference, and uh, it was what I call teamwork tango how to lead and when to follow using partner dancing as a metaphor for workplace relationships between leaders and followers in the workplace. And I thought, they'll never accept this. Oh, come on, this is professionals. They're not gonna want people dancing. And they said, yes. And it was like, oh geez, now I gotta do it. Now I gotta develop something. <laughs> so I did, and it was very successful. And people said, you know what? You've got something here. You have to keep working on this. So I took those two worlds of mine and I put them together because I realized it's the very same skills um, when you're dancing with somebody or teaching yes. dance, it's all about that connection and communication and teamwork. It's the same stuff I was doing in my day job. Right. So, so I started putting it together and using it. And then a friend of mine who is a wonderful musician, Gary Musinski, he uses music for team building. And I knew him from the various professional conferences. And he had a friend, Alain Rostin, who was an improviser, who was uh, one of the organizers of a new group that was getting together. This was 2002 in San Diego as a subgroup of another of a larger training conference. And at the time they called it the Summit on Improvisation in Business. And he said, hey, yeah, all these improvisers are getting together to do this thing and they use improv in, in companies and I use music, you use dance, maybe we should go. My friend is doing it, sounds good. And I thought, okay. So I signed up and before the conference happened, Gary pulled out, he canceled because he had a paying gig. And as you know, and I know, when you're a struggling artist, if you have a paying gig, right. that totally trumps a conference that you have to Everything. show Yep. <laughs> So he, he bowed out and I thought, you know what? I'll, I'll just go. And even though I didn't really know people there, actually once I got there, I did uh, know a few people for, just from my professional connections, mm -hmm. but it was life-changing for me. It was the first conference of what then became the Applied Improvisation Network. They called it Summit on Improvisation in Business and it was successful and we decided to keep going. And several of us who, at the time I was working mostly in nonprofits, and I said, hey, you know, business isn't very inclusive. What about nonprofits and government agencies and community groups? And, and the name Applied Improvisation Network was born. And since then, I've been to every single conference every year, except that 
you know, it was canceled last year and, right. and this year. Although this year, I think we're going to try and do it virtually. If there's okay. one conference to go to a year, it's that one because these are my people. It's my community. They gave me not only the shot in the arm I needed, the confidence I needed to move forward with my work in combining dance in training and facilitation. But I had so much fun doing improv with them. And I thought, oh my God, I forgot how much fun improv is. And in college, I did all this scripted theater and I never liked memorizing stuff. And I got bored doing the same thing over and over. <laughs> Very much the same way. I, I, I rarely do scripted for that reason. Even the stuff I write, like I love it opening night. And then after that, it, now there's now it's kind of a job. <laughs> So I asked a, a friend who was at the conference who, from the Bay Area who I knew from, you know, organization development conferences. And I said, Nan, where do I study improv in the Bay Area? And she gave me some some places to go. And I started studying improv because I thought I can't I, I learned some exercises at the conference. Mm -hmm. But I thought I can't just start doing this stuff if I'm not learning it myself. I have right. to get back in the game. So I got I got into improv again uh, in 2002. Uh, studied mostly at BATS, Bay Area Theater Sports, but many, many other places, Leela, Unscripted, uh, Loose Moose Theater in, in Calgary, lots of different places, lots and lots of, of workshops. And uh, while I was also using it in my work. So now I had these two wonderful tools of expressive arts of dance and improv theater to incorporate into my work. And it, it was absolutely life-changing. So that's how I got into improv. If you that want to know how I started to do uh, the Zoomers to Boomers improv. Right, right. Uh, let me just ask you this. So even before you start, were you just an expressive kid? Like, is that, were you the entertainer at the family parties? Because I, I just got this vision of you like, I have to express myself and I'll use any means necessary to do so. And now oh, you're giving that gift to others. That's incredible. Well, I was always in dance and drama from the time I was a kid, and uh, and I'm an extrovert. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of improvisers who are introverts, I know. Oh, who, yeah, yes. You know, they sort of come alive on stage, and then they get very quiet again. <laughs> but I, well, this is a good segue into Zoomers to Boomers improv. Mm -hmm. I've always been passionate about breaking down age barriers. We live in a society that segregates people by age groups, right? Oh, there absolutely. are programs yeah. for young children. There are programs for teens. There are programs for young adults. There are programs for middle-age, um, you know, uh, midlife career change groups. And there are programs right. for, quote, seniors, right? But they don't tend to mix. Everybody's yeah. in their little age silo. And I've never liked that. And even as a kid, um, when I was 12 years old and I was already taking dance classes and my sister and I were teaching Israeli folk dancing together at our synagogue and she's six years older than me. And yeah. when she was 18 and she started college at UCLA, I grew up in LA and she wanted to go to the weekly folk dance uh, gatherings and she didn't feel like going by herself. She was still living at home at that time and she, she invited her kid sister to go along. So I was 12 and I'm going with my big sister to folk dancing at UCLA. And everybody welcomed me and treated me as an equal. You know, I was the kid. Right, right. <laughs> and, you know, it didn't matter that I was younger. We were all dancing together, right? And I loved yeah. that. 
And then, um, you know, fast forward when I first got out of graduate school, I was a couple years out of graduate school and I was back in LA and I was working um, for, for the Jewish community uh, in LA and I was responsible for getting kids and Jewish youth groups involved in community service projects. And I really liked the idea of getting them involved in intergenerational projects of doing stuff with um, older adults. But what I didn't like is I saw a lot of uh, kind of one-offs that were sort of meaningless. Like, you know, a youth group would go and visit the, you know, the old people's home for a day and sing for them and then pat themselves on the back and say, aren't we wonderful? We help those poor old people. Sorry, that's not, <laughs> that, that doesn't count. But that's, that's what we're taught. Free. Like you just have to spend just enough time to get, you know, it's, it's almost like uh, the version of we're doing it for the gram. We just got to get a picture taken. Uh, people need to wear their voting stickers. It's, it's not enough. I, I totally agree. Cause it doesn't really change anything. Uh, it's a good, it's a good start. Maybe. Right. Yeah. I, and I wanted it to be something meaning, meaningful, more of sustained projects. I like the idea of intergenerational. Right. I saw a film that, I was kind of life-changing for me, just as the Applied Improv Network was. This was long before that, this is in the 80s. I saw a film called In Close Harmony. It was a documentary film. I think it won some awards. And it was about a woman who was a um, choir teacher. And she was working in a city where she had two main groups that she was teaching to sing on two sides of town. On one side of town um, were you know, inner city kids, kind of disadvantaged kids who, you know, they were getting this opportunity to, to sing together and, and learn music. On the other side of town, she was working at a senior center and teaching the seniors to sing. And she had this brilliant idea. She thought, I'm gonna teach them the same repertoire. Oh. And, and I'm gonna bring them together at the end of the semester to do a joint concert. But I want them to have contact all along before that. You have to understand this is pre-internet, right? We're talking yeah. eight. <laughs> so she, she paired them up as pen pals. So oh. every senior was paired with a kid in, in, in you know, the school program and they wrote to each other during the whole semester about how they felt about singing and music and the different pieces they were learning. And then they came together and did a big community performance and there wasn't a dry eye in the house. You know, I'm crying That's as I'm making incredible. this. And I just thought, oh my God, I want to do something like that. And here I am doing these, pro you know, getting high school, junior high and high school students involved yeah. in these community service projects. And one day I'm walking down the street of Fairfax Avenue in LA, which is the oldest still existing Jewish neighborhood in LA. And I suddenly stop dead in my tracks and I look up and there's a hundred foot long white wall. And I say, oh my God. That wall needs a mural on the history of the LA Jewish community. And I'm gonna do it. And it's gonna be an intergenerational project with kids and elders. Wow. And I came back and told my boss and he's one of the yeah. best bosses I ever had. Instead of saying, yeah, oh, you're crazy. Just do your job. He went, hmm, wow. Well, that's ambitious. I'll tell you what. You do all your other assignments. I'll give you a year to raise the money. And if you raise the money, I'll stand behind you 100%. I spent a year grant writing. Every grant I applied for was funded. Wow. We got funded by the California Arts Council, the California oh. Humanities, the uh, City of Los Angeles, 
Los Angeles Community Development right. Department and the Jewish Community Foundation. <laughs> we got these four big grants. I got all the supplies donated. I got part of that grant money was to do a documentary video. Cause again, I mm -hmm. had seen this documentary. Yeah. We hired a video crew who documented this group and we, I recruited art students um, from two places. One was from Fairfax High School that was right mm -hmm. down the street from the location where the mural was. And right across the street from the location was a senior center. So we had art students from the senior center, oh. art students from the high school, not all Jewish. So it was interfaith, interracial, as well as intergenerational. They spent a year working together with a team of historians and professional muralists uh, they researched, designed, and painted that mural together, which was finished in 1985, and it's still there. <laughs> That's incredible. Let me ask, you do so many projects. When you're approaching a project like this, how do you get started? Like, Because it's a you come up with really cool big concepts, and you don't leave anything on the table. It's all being used. <laughs> so how do you even how do you even come up with the concept, and then how do you break it down in a way where you present to the people involved or the people you have to get yeses from how, how does that whole process begin you know i don't think there's any one way i think you have to have a, a, a clear vision in your mind mm -hmm. of when i say a clear vision it's more about the purpose it might not you might not have all the pieces in place yet like right. The mural project, other things kept coming up that I hadn't even thought of, like we had professional photographs taken of the mural, and then we had a, a an art exhibit in the local library. I mean, there were things, pieces that came out of it that I didn't think of, or right. I didn't think about the fact that, you know, when you have uh, teenagers and uh, elders uh, climbing up scaffolding to paint a mural, you, you darn well better have insurance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there were pieces. I wouldn't even thought of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so the Jewish Community Center sponsored us because they had insurance for for doing kinds of active projects. So there were pieces that came into play as I went. You you can't know everything from the get go, but if you have a clear idea of your purpose, I knew I wanted to bring together teens and elders. I wanted them to work as a team. I wanted it to be over time. And by the end of that project, they were really, they were very close friends. There were seven panels on the, the wall had seven panels. So we chose seven periods in history and we had seven teams and all teams were mixed age group. So they worked together very closely for a year on their panel. Well, and I would, I would imagine that's life-changing uh, experience because you're, you're, you're doing something that's bigger than you. And you have to do it. You have to do it by committee because it's again uh, something's bigger than you. And you know, or if you just do it by yourself, it's never going to get done. So you have to accept help. You have to uh, give help. There's got to be you know that that sense of community to, right. to accomplish what you did. And I was very young. I was in my twenties. So that was my first intergenerational project. I was in my twenties. What's what's sad about that is now you know that we're like you know. 30 some years later, um, unfortunately most, you know, most of the seniors who were involved in that project are probably gone. And the high school students are middle-aged. Right? <laughs> and well, I'm 65. <laughs> give them so, 10 more years and then they'll have to be the seniors at the mural, like time to pass it on. <laughs> right, so, so what's funny was that was my last intergenerational project when I right. was in my, in my late 20s. Now, fast forward, here I am in my 60s 
And what happened was um, the same camp that I mentioned to you that um, I had been uh, teaching dance at, where that, that couple came to me with tears in their eyes. Uh, I, let's see, about 10 years ago, when uh, they needed some some additional uh, classes being offered during that week. And I pitched, at that point, I'd been doing improv for, I don't know, about eight years. I pitched the director on the idea of having an improv class at this music and dance camp. So most of the classes are, you know, instrument, singing, dancing, but they always had a children's drama program. And there's a, a wonderful teacher for the drama program. They put on a play, they write a play, they rehearse it, they put wow. it on at the end of the week. But it's for kids up to like age 10. It's for the little kids. And then the kids would age out of that and there'd be nothing for them to do in terms of drama. And I kept thinking, right. why don't we have a drama program for adults? Why don't we have improv? Because improv is a perfect tool for musicians and dancers. You know, I'll never forget when I, I had, you know, I started teaching uh, an improv class. Oh, and the director said, uh, you can do it if you can make it into an evening program because we need more evening programs. I said, no problem. We'll, we'll meet every day all week. And at the end of the week, we'll put on an improv show. And that's what we started doing. And it got to be so popular. People would come from all over the camp to come see the improv show. And it was all ages from uh, age 10 and up because basically I took people who had aged out of the kids drama program right. and up. So my very first class I had uh, age 10 to 75. Wow. Right? That sounds like an awesome show though. <laughs> and yes, and yes. <laughs> I, I was adamant about everybody's equal in that okay. class, you know, uh, Everybody's working as a team. I, I don't talk down to kids, you know. I mean, we're not talking real little ones here. You're talking about preteens, yeah. you know, and teens through through older adults. And it's like, you know, everybody everybody's an equal. Everybody's a participant. And the other beautiful thing about improv is you do not have to play yourself. Thank right. God, because if I was in scripted work, how many parts would there be for a little old Jewish lady? Not that many, but... <laughs> I can play, uh, you know, right. another gender, another age, another personality, someone from another country. I can, you know, I can play with that. And so, um, I told everybody of all ages, you do not have to play your age. So we had a lot of fun scenes where we'd have a younger person playing grandpa, right? And right, a right. Person playing the grandchild, and just very, very I mean, fun. To be honest, I've done some kids shows myself, and I always love when the kids come on stage because they're so honest and they're so observant. We don't give them enough credit for how observant and how pure their 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 view of the world is and how unafraid they are to tell us how it really is compared to all the, the social blinders we have on. It's it's awesome. Uh, I taught a teen, or a teen class for a while and I, I pretty much let them do within reason whatever they would like to do. And one of my favorite scenes is two of them did a bar scene and them explaining this, them talking about the drinks they were having was one of my favorite moments of improv of all time. Because <laughs> I would like a shot of the whiskey and uh, a shot of beer because that's what we do. <laughs> I, I, it's just those moments. Like, and, and I wouldn't trade that moment for, for the world, you know? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, it was it was such a delight working with them, and like I said, you know, they really bonded as as a team. 
regardless of age. And then this directly led to Zoomers to Boomers right. Improv because uh, several three years ago, uh, or four years ago now, uh, 2017, the Applied Improv Network uh, Conference was in Southern California at UC Irvine. And uh, I invited one of my students from this camp lives right there in that neighborhood. And she uh, is a teacher. And she had come to me the summer before, presented me with this envelope. She said, this is for you. I want you to see you inspired me because you talked about doing applied improvisation. Where, And by the way, applied improvisation means improv for non-performance purposes. Oh, okay. It's taking improv back to its roots. You know, if you know about Viola Spolin and how she used improv at a, in a settlement house in Chicago for, to help kids connect, because she right. realized, I can't do a play with these kids. They're not even communicating or connecting with each other. Yeah. And it was so successful. And her son, Paul Sills, grew up with all those improv games. And when he became an actor and director, he thought, you know, I bet I could use mom's games to get my actors to connect better. We could use it for warm up and rehearsal. And maybe they'd stop all the backbiting. And then, it's, you know, they started using it. And at some point, I don't know who got the brilliant idea to put it on stage as performance. But that's not where it started. So right. our growing international group, and, uh, you know, when it started in San Diego in 2002 with about 35 people, we now have, I think, 8,000 members worldwide. Wow. You know, North America, South America, Europe, Asia, Australia, I mean all over and it's pretty amazing. And these are people who are using improv in companies, nonprofits, uh, government agencies, community groups, schools, prisons, you name it. Right. Because of the, of the benefits that we know improv has of what it does for us of, of presence and communication and give and take and deep listening. So anyway, um, Oh, where was I? So we had this conference in, in at UC Irvine, yeah. and I invited this woman who she presented me with this with this uh, envelope the previous summer at camp and said, "I created an applied improv curriculum for my students because I was inspired by you. We're going to use improv for learning in the classroom." And I went, "Oh my God, what a compliment!" And I told her about this conference and I said, you know, Christina, you should you should come. It's right in your neighborhood. I think they've got a thing where you can register, you know, for one day even to check it out. So she came. She came for one day and we're sitting at dinner. They had a dinner thing, you know, by the beach and we're sitting and um, I was introducing her to some of my friends from the organization. And we're sitting across from, uh, you know, a fellow um, applied improv network person, um, AIN for short. And I show him on my phone, I show him a picture of our group from the last summer from the camp. Mm -hmm. And I said, look at this group of improvisers. Christina was one of my students. And um, look at the age range of this group. It was, I think at that time it was from uh, 12 to you know 76 or whatever. And, and he looked at it and he went, oh my God, that's so cool. And he looked at me and he said, you know what, Yael? Maybe your calling is intergenerational improv. And I went, yeah, there it is. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> you did. You just didn't have a name for it. <laughs> you know, I was just doing it at this camp to try and right. fill a need. But then I was like, oh, my God, I think you're right. And then the second big 
came a few days later when I was leaving the conference. You know, I had a rental car and I'm driving from from uh, UC Irvine uh, to the airport to go home. And as I drive out of the uh, the university lot, I look over to my left and I see a senior uh, retirement community and I go, whoa, it's right there. It's across the street from the mm -hmm. university. And I thought, oh my God, I have an idea. And the conference was hosted by a wonderful guy named Joel Veenstra who um, had just uh, received tenure in the theater department at the university. He was hosting the conference and I thought, I'm gonna give Joel a little while to recover from the conference. And then I'm gonna see if he wants to have a conversation because I wonder if he'd be willing to host an intergenerational improv class through his wow. theater department. And he said, yes. And we did it together. It was a university course. Um, he, the, the students were, you know, from the university drama program mm -hmm. and, you know, credit course. And the harder part, See, this was the reverse of what I'm, I'm going through now. The harder part was recruiting the, the older adults. Um, we, and we had to offer it to them for free. We couldn't charge because the university had rules and we couldn't, right. you know, so the, the older adults had to be able to take it for free. And they had very limited funding. All, they were able to give us like a thousand dollar stipend which didn't even really cover my expenses. I was working full time at the time and I couldn't come to everything. I live in Northern California. Okay. It's like 400 miles away. So, oh, yeah. Okay. Plainfield. Yeah. California's a big state. Yeah. You, yeah, so, you, yeah. One of the long ones. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. So, and so I heard I, driving in California is never a joy either. So, this was a twice a week class. So, wow. um, I was only, I was able to be there at the beginning, yeah. a couple times in the middle, and then at the end. Um, but we crafted the curriculum together and, uh, and we did, we, um, we, we still had more students. Uh, I think we had like 12 students and nine older adults. And the age range in that class was 20 to 85. Wow. And they worked together, you know, over the course of, of, of the academic quarter. Mm -hmm. And we put on a, they put on a show together as part of a comedy festival. Yeah. And it was just amazing the bonds that were created in this group. And again, you know, Joel is younger than I am. He's, he's in his 40s, I'm in my 60s. So we had, you know, multi-generational facilitation. And I did the same thing I had done at the mural project, which is the very first day we divide them into two groups by age. So Joel went with the students and I went with the older adults, of which I am one, as you see. And um, we had given them a list of questions of things like, um, so, what are some of the assumptions you think they have about you? And what are some of the assumptions you have about them if you're honest with yourself? And what are you hoping to learn from them? What do you hope they'll learn from you? What do you why did you sign up for an intergenerational class? What do you hope to get out of this? I mean, questions like that. Yeah. And without the other age group in the room, our hope was that they would be honest. And so they, they did surface some of those assumptions and stereotypes. Then we brought them together and they played together for, I guess it was eight weeks. And at the end, we separated them again by age groups after they had their show and everything. And we said, so were any of your assumptions challenged? What did, what did oh, you learn? Wow. We, we also did a pre-survey and post-survey. Wanted to take advantage of the fact that this was at a university. We were able right. to get help from the social sciences department. So we, we did a survey uh, with 10 questions 
the same questions at the beginning and at the end. And a lot of the questions were things that happen naturally with, with improv that we know that the benefits of, you know, more confidence, um, being more willing to accept others' ideas and give yeah. up your agenda, uh, things like that. But there was also a question about how comfortable are you interacting with someone from a different age group if they're not a family member? So we had 10 of these questions and on six of the 10 questions, we had statistically significant increases in their comfort level including and especially the one about interaction between age groups. So we knew we were on to something, but unfortunately the university didn't have the, the funding or the bandwidth to do it the following year. And then the next year after that, they were going to do it. And then COVID hit. Oh yeah. Jeez. <laughs> so that wasn't happening. So I thought, okay, I have to find another way to do this. I was teaching at a senior arts center and I pitched it to them and I said, you know, I was already teaching improv and stand-up comedy yeah. there. And I said, well, how about if we have an intergenerational improv class? I've done it in other places. It's fabulous. Mm -hmm. They thought about it and said, well, you know, our mandate, our mission is serving adults over the age of 50. Sorry, it's not for us. We're not really, you know, our, our mission is not to serve younger people. So it's like, yeah. oh. so. But it does serve them. You know, it's a win-win. <laughs> Well, if they were thinking clearly, right. they would realize that this particular organization has been around for 40 years. If they thought about it clearly, their current, some of their current seniors were teens 40 years ago. Yes, yes. <laughs> when they started. But, you know, <clears throat> they didn't want to do it. Okay. <clears throat> so then I pitched it to BATS, Bay Area Theater Sports. They said yes. <clears throat> we did our first class at BATS. And again, I wanted to have, I wanted it to be co-facilitators. I wanted to have a, a younger improv right. teacher working with me. And I recruited the fabulous Gary Ware, who I love dearly, who I know from the Applied Improv Network. And Gary lives in He's San Diego. He's the gentleman on your, on your website? Yes. Okay, yes. Yes, I, I read about his um, workshop. I, I would like to have him on, because he, he sounds like he's doing some really cool work. You should. Gar Gary's jam is play. He's a master. His company is called Breakthrough Play, and he uses play for, for companies yeah. and organizations. And <clears throat> so we knew each other from um, AIN, and I thought, oh, my God, he would be perfect because by now we were doing things virtually. When the pandemic hit, there were several uh, improv classes that I was uh, scheduled to teach face-to-face, -face, mm -hmm. which now had to be online. The bat and um, the bats class. Was did you ever online. get to do face-to-face -face in the beginning, or did did this all come from? No, the UC. The, yeah, the UC Irvine class was face-to-face. -face. I flew yes, down there. Yes. You know, that was face-to-face. -face. The camp that I, you know, was teaching at every summer and will again. Yes. When the pandemic things open up again, face-to-face, -face. but. I was the classes I was teaching at the senior center were scheduled face to face and then had to convert to online. So suddenly I was okay. teaching improv you know, and comedy class online uh, uh, through Zoom. And then BATS had already converted to doing all their classes online. Okay. <clears throat> so I thought, well, if it's online, the co-facilitator doesn't have to be in the Bay Area because I was trying to think, oh, who do I know here? But, but one thing yeah. that the pandemic, I mean, as horrible as this pandemic is, Going virtual opened up other possibilities of collaborating with people across ge geographical boundaries. So I recruited Gary, who lives, you know, 400 miles away in San Diego, because we represent a lot of diversity. So I am, you know, female, 65 years old, white, Jewish, 
Gary is a black millennial male, you know. Yeah. Um, we're very, very different. And so uh, we, you know, we co-facilitated the class at BATS together. But again, as you know, you know, small theater companies, they didn't have the, the funding to hire two instructors. They said, you know, we can only hire one. And I thought, oh, man, whole, part of the whole beauty of this is we, we separate them at the beginning and then at the end. And on Zoom, you can do it in breakout rooms, right? I want to Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I told Gary, you know, I'll pay you out of my pocket, I think, to come to the first session and the last session. I can handle the middle ones on my own. And Gary, being a wonderful giving person, he says, you don't have to pay me. I'll just come. I'll do it with you. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah, especially, you know, with employment being what it was, it still is. That's really cool of him. So, I mean, he's wonderful. I love him so much. And so we did that class. And then when it came time, um, you know, to schedule again, that was last year. That was in the fall. Yeah. And then wanted to do it again this spring. But Bats had a big um, sort of re-engineering of their whole purpose and their and their um, cast members and their teachers and all of that. And they said, no, we're really focusing on this new core curriculum and we're not doing any outside stuff. Maybe someday we'll get back to, you know, working with, with seniors, right. intergenerational stuff. So I was like, you know what? Damn it, I just got to do this on my own. I got to stop relying on sponsors. You know, I tried to get UC Irvine to do it again. No go. I tried to get, you know, this senior art center. No go. Bats did it the first time and then couldn't do it again. So it's like, right. wait a minute. Yeah, L. Everything's online now. Yeah. There's no, there's no brick and mortar over. You don't yet. need a, you don't need walls and a ceiling anymore. <laughs> I don't need to rent a room. I don't need right. to have a host theater. Oh my God. And yeah. I talked to Gary. I said, let's just do this ourselves. And he said, Yep. <laughs> and at, by this time, I, I would imagine it's a lot easier because a lot more people are using Zoom. You know, there's not that um technical issue wall that we have to work with, you know, uh, cause I remember when we first started doing this, that was, that was part of the challenge explaining people how to do zoom and how to get your microphone and how to un unmute yourself and all the good stuff that comes along with learning new technology. And I, I can imagine, especially, you know, working with younger and older people who, who might not have used it in their day-to-day -day business lives. Um, I, Cause I don't know how prevalent it was like in schools before, you know, this, this whole thing happened. Um, I, I would imagine like right now would be the perfect time to do this. So that's awesome. Yeah. The first virtual class I taught for, for the uh, senior art center, a lot of handholding was done of, you know, how to use zoom yeah. and how to mute yourself and unmute yourself. <laughs> <coughs> so by now people are pretty good at it. And, uh, so we launched this on our own and it allows not only for the facilitators to be in different places, but the students, right? right? So we've got people from all over. We, I, I, you know, put together, uh, a, an interest survey and, um, oh, and that was another serendipitous thing. It's so funny. You know, I was using survey monkey. I don't know if you use survey monkey. Oh yes. Yeah. Um, and suddenly they had some more restrictions on what you could do for free without paying for a paid account, which I was oh. determined not to do. And it used to be back when I used it last year, you could uh, input email addresses and they would, they would send the survey out to those emails. And I had right. this email 
list of students from my the summer camp or other people I knew who were interested. And that's how we did the BATS class. And suddenly they had changed their rules. You can't input emails. All you can do is copy a survey link. And first I was bummed about it and I thought, well, wait a minute, yeah, oh, hello, this is better. You can post the link on social media. And yeah. get, no, you're not limited to your list of contacts. So that was a game changer. And we got 43 responses to the survey okay. from uh, Gen Z uh, to millennials, to Gen X, to boomers, to tr traditionalist generation is pre-boomer. It's uh, born World War II or earlier. So um, wow. we've got five generations spread. We've got more in the middle, fewer at the, at the two ends. Yeah. But um, we're gonna be launching our next class on May 12th. And, okay. and the people are all over. So we're, they're in a bunch of yeah. different time zones. We got one, as well as all the time zones in the US, We've got one person from Europe. We've got one person in Africa. We've got one person in uh, South America. International, intergenerational. This is crazy. I love. It. Let's talk about the classes themselves. Um, what is a typical intergenerational class like? It, are there rules or or expectations that you put on the students at the beginning to make to ensure like they are getting everything they need to get out of it or or uh, I don't want to say force, but to encourage them to to mix it up more, you know, to, to stay out of their safety zone and and to really mix it up. Yeah. So because we've got mixed age groups starting right. with you know, this particular class, Zoomers to Boomers. The reason why it's called Zoomers to Boomers is it's Gen Z. Actually, it goes beyond Boomers because we have a few people who are older than Boomers. Um, that we're making it PG. The content. Okay. So we tell people, you know, keep keep the language, uh, you know, PG, right. and, and the and the content, and you know, try not to have seduction scenes and things like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. and, oh my God. <laughs> many improvisers fall into as a, as a fallback. You know, let's right. make it about sex. That's what we that's what we do when we're nervous. Yeah. So. <laughs> So wow. yeah, and and occasionally, um, I, I was talking to you before that we went on air. Occasionally, I'll have to intervene about something if someone says something that I feel, you know, is is inappropriate or right. um, someone might take a wrong way. Um, in the class that we had, uh, our inaugural class at Bats, we had two trans teenagers who I knew because they were my kids from uh, the summer camp. So I had to go through changing my pronouns with them you know, because right. I knew them before and after the, their transition. Uh, and um, there, at one point there was a scene being done with, um, uh, a, let's see, we, we usually had the mixed, you know, every time we did a scene we'd mix an older and, and a younger, um, you know, for a two person scene. But there was one scene where an older improviser, um, the, the scenario was a high school reunion. And he made sort of a, off the cuff comment about you know someone said oh I, I didn't recognize you and he said oh yeah well that's because I was a girl then and, and now now I'm a guy but he said it kind of you know jokingly like right punchline you know I let the scene finish and then I said okay gang time out we're going to talk about this okay we've got trans members of our community and it's very important that if you play a character who you, you can play a character who's trans. You don't have to play yourself. You can play a different gender right. or a different, um, you know, sexual orientation, whatever. But you have to do it with heart and respect. Absolutely. Right? 
Absolutely. Make it a character choice and not a joke. Absolutely. I mean, I'm straight and I've played, you know, gay characters on stage, but you do it with heart and, and with your soul. And so, you know, I so occasionally I might have to stop people or someone says something at the other end if a kid were to say, hey, boomer or something like that. Right. So, you know, you just have to um, you have to set certain parameters. Um, and we did we did the same thing. Like I said, we, we were, you know, dividing them into two groups at the beginning and at the end to, to figure out what they learned. The, the gentleman who made that mistake had a big learning experience. And I, I checked bet. after the class, I checked in with him and with the two trans teens offline to make sure they were all okay. And every, everybody was good. But I think that's, that's my, that's my role as an instructor is to make sure that it's a safe space. Yeah. And if anything happens that, might be problematic that everyone's okay and it's been talked through. Well, I think you make a really good point because we, we create a safe space, but it's also a safe space to make that kind of mistake and to learn from it. And, you know, if as long as you learn from it, it's okay. And it, just don't do it again. And, you know, hopefully grow. That's really important. I think that's a really a big, another big part of this we should learn because I think we do focus on making sure it's safe for, um, anybody who who has been for i don't know for lack of a very example used as a punchline instead of given the respect they deserve so yeah that absolutely they need to be safe but some people in inadvertently make jokes when they don't realize the bigger picture of what this means to somebody else so yeah. i think that's really cool that you checked in with everybody and and that he grew that's that's awesome yeah that's and I can imagine like generational um, misconceptions do play into that as well. Um, you know, I, and, and I, I think that's why this work is important. Right. Uh, what other what other benefits have you seen with this with uh, intergenerational um, improv? Um, actually, I, before I answer that, I just want to mention one other thing that, okay. that in addition to using you know standard improv exercises that are suitable for zoom because as we all know we've had to switch things up there's something right we have to touch the person in order to talk no that's not gonna nope, work nope um so we also created some exercises specifically for intergenerational purposes so i created one where they um switch age roles where you put an elder and a young person together and the el the and the elder is playing a teenager and the, and the teen is playing, you know, the, the parent or grandparent right. and they do a scene and I have them do it twice. I say the first time I want you to play up all the stereotypes, just blow them out of the water, all the stereotypes. Cause again, you're playing the opposite age of what yeah. you think that person is like. Right. And then we do it a second time. And I say, now play against stereotype, be an atypical, you know, the young person is being right. an atypical grandparent or parent. The, the older person is being an atypical teen. And it just, it works so beautifully and it's hysterically funny. And then we talk oh. about it, what you learned from it. You know, that if you play a different age, you don't have to go with the stereotype. Right. And, and it's a, it's, it's something that I use that you'll hear this from older improvisers uh, in addition to, you know, all too often not getting cast. <laughs> when you do get cast or in a class, you walk on stage and someone immediately calls you grandma. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, you get typecast all the time. My ways of dealing with that either jump the gun. I'm playing with a younger person. I'll call him grandpa. And then he's <laughs> got to deal with it. 
Yeah. Or if they call me grand, if they call me grandma, I can be an atypical grandma. I can be the grandma who who goes right. rock, like, rock climbing every weekend and is saying, "Yeah, keep up, buddy. What's the matter with you? Yeah, you, you have no stamina, you know." And so I got um, a black belt in jujitsu. I'll flip you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I'm sorry. And now your other question that you were getting to. Oh, uh, what we've learned. Yeah, what what? Because uh, you've mentioned you've you've been collecting data. Um, so I, I'm kind of curious what the, what the data has been saying. You mentioned it has been making, uh, people more comfortable with communicating with people from different generations. Um, mm -hmm. are there other benefits have, that came up while, uh, through the data? Yeah. So I've been also collecting articles of, of studies that have been done on, on age. And, uh, one of them is, um, <clears throat> a study study that was done of, of elders of what helps keep you young, you know, in mind and body and spirit. Right. And uh, of all the different activities, uh, ones that are the most effective, dancing is one and, and improv is another one, right? Or, or theater. Yeah. Why? Because you are engaging your body, you know, you're moving around, your mind and social interaction. So all, you're getting all three, Yeah. right? There are other things that are good for one of those things. You can do crossword puzzles for your mind, right? right. You can do uh, aerobics for your body. Uh, you could have a, a Zoom social gathering. But improv gets all three. Yeah, because you get the cognitive plus the, the physical and, yeah, the social aspects of everything. That's, yeah. And, and a study that said that uh, those elders who have a positive image of aging are much less likely to, to uh, be frail physically or cognitively. So if yeah. I have an image in my mind of positive, healthy aging, I'm much less likely to have problems. I'm lucky I have longevity in my family. My parents are in their 90s and still alive and well and still married wow. after more than 70 years, right? Wow. So yeah, right? So I have, you know, I'm not old, I have, I have parents. Yeah, I got a long way to go. <laughs> So I have, and, and my, you know, and my mom's very feisty and her mother was feisty up until the end at, at age 90. So, so I've got those positive role models and the research says that that's, that helps keep you young. And then this other longitudinal study that I love that was done where they um, surveyed uh, a group of people in their mid forties mm -hmm. and the, about attitudes about aging. And then they kind of followed them through through time. And 25 years later, when they were in their uh, late 60s, they did a study to find out which of them had developed um, dementia. Strong, positive correlation. The people who in their 40s had a positive image of aging were had much lower incidence of dementia 25 years later. Those that said things like, oh, older people are forgetful, older people are frail, older people have to stay home a lot. They're the ones who got dementia when they got older. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. You put yourself <laughs> in that mindset. Yeah. You kind of, uh, it's almost a psychosomatic, you know, uh, issue you, you, you give yourself by, by doing that. Right. So you take those two studies, the, the benefits of doing intergenerational improv. For the older participants, it's keeping them young. For the younger participants, it's going to keep them healthy because they're going to have a positive attitude about aging. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. Plus they're getting out and moving. Oh god. And they're getting laughs. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Keeping it's getting laughs is probably the best drug for keeping young. I, I don't know an improviser who looks their age, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I I, th I think this is a good spot to wrap it up. Uh, I'm curious what what's going on next. What what kind of um, events or classes you got going on? Where can we find uh, your your classes or what? what how can we keep up with you? Because you're all over the place. Yeah. I'm everywhere. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of places you can go to, and I, I believe you're going to be putting the, the links uh, on the feed. So one is Zoomers to Boomers Improv.com. You got to have the word improv in there because there's a wonderful program called Zoomers to Boomers where they deliver groceries to elders who uh, are at home and can't get out. Wonderful program, different program. <laughs> This is, Mix them up. <laughs> this is zoomers to boomers improv.com okay. for the website. You can also find our Facebook uh, group, which is zoomers to boomers improv on mm -hmm. Facebook. And so right now um, we're about to, uh, we're posting about our upcoming class. First priority is going to go to people who filled out the survey already because we want to give them first crack. We, we have, okay. we have limited spaces. That That is one thing. Well, I was gonna say that's one thing about Zoom, but it's true in a room also. You only have so much space in a room, so it's no and so much yet. time because you know you, you want to get them up there a couple of times, you know. Yeah, we're limiting it to twenty-five boxes on the screen because more than that, you know, for improv, it's hard. To have, you want to yeah. be able to see everybody on one screen and yes. not have to keep scrolling. So that's the so we are limiting it to you know like twenty-three participants, uh, and so you could find out there. Some other projects I have going that are part of this whole umbrella of intergenerational improv. One is uh, we're doing a wonderful um, international intergenerational um, uh, workshop as part of a children's theater festival in Nigeria. Wow. The Applied Improv Network. I now have friends in improv all over the world. So my wonderful friend Damilola in, in Nigeria is sponsoring this festival. And Gary and I are. Um, facilitating co-facilitating a workshop between Nigerian school Nigerian and Jamaican school kids because they're partnering with a Jamaican school and a senior improv group in Oakland uh, California which is my my home territory which has a bunch of my uh, students in it it's a group called the perennials it is a group of six women in their 60s and 70s who've been doing improv together for several years now and they're fabulous so we've got the elders, the perennials in Oakland, who are going to be doing this workshop with high school students in Nigeria and Jamaica, wow. with Gary and me facilitating, and it's all going to be on Zoom. That must be the most diverse show ever. I, I love it. That's so incredible. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to that because another one of my sort of buckets is, in addition yeah. to these public workshops, which brings in individuals, yeah. is to play matchmaker, bring together um, youth who are involved in, in improv and theater and elders who are involved in improv and theater and have them work together. And then a third bucket is working with families. So I'm partnering with an organization called the Long Distance Grandparents Society. They started before the pandemic, realizing that a lot of grandparents live far away from their grandchildren, don't get to see them yeah. face to face very often. And this woman is developing these various virtual activities for them to do on Zoom or Skype or whatever. So I did a workshop for them Wow. Uh, bringing together the grandparents and the grandchildren 
and we're going to be launching a series for them to do on a regular basis. And that's going to be families attending together. So the grandparents and the grandchildren who live in different cities yeah. are going to be on Zoom together doing improv. That's great for bonding because uh, I have I have a niece and nephew who live down in North Carolina. And it used to be I would call down there and I couldn't get them to, to stop talking. Now they're getting to that age where it's like, oh, you, how was school? Good. How's the rest of your day? Right. Mm. Right, okay. they run out of stuff to say. So yep. with that group, I'm not only having them be participants, but I'm I'm training the grandparents how to facilitate the improv exercises That's... themselves, the games. Yeah. And then one last bucket, bucket number four. Uh, I'm going to be launching um, workshops for companies, organizations on breaking down the generation silos. You know, from from Zoomers to Boomers in the workplace. Right, uh, who have all these yeah. attitudes about each other, you know? Oh, those millennials—they have no work ethic. Oh, okay, boomer, you know. I mean, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Let's break that down and understand each other. So I've been doing a lot of research and reading on on generational issues, and now that I'm 65, I've lived through. <laughs> right. I've lived through those age groups, but in 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 each one of the generations, there are different societal impacts on how you see the world. And so helping people understand each other and why they might be approaching their work or their life differently. That's incredible. You're doing incredible. The most bucketist uh, improviser I ever met that thank you so much. For, uh, I'm going to try it again. Yay, Al. Yes. Get, yes. <sighs> Woo. Yay. Woo. I've been rehearsing that for the last 57 minutes. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. I, I, we would love to have you on again, uh, when maybe even when James get, gets back. Because uh, you, I want to, I want to explore all these buckets. You're, you got so much going on. It's really incredible. You're doing such incredible work, and I really appreciate you having on for coming on today and, and spending some time with us. Thank you so much. Uh, and, and everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, we, you can find us on both the, um, uh, the, the Facebook and, and Spotify. So check out, check out the, the podcast and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>